ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new podcast hosted by Eric Parker. What do you think is the biggest challenge that entrepreneurs face? I think what it comes down to is distance. I think the more we reduce these distances, the more we create opportunity for people to succeed. Make Startups is a podcast designed to support innovation and those who innovate. I'm your producer, David Bash, and Eric and I started out his first episode with a conversation about a panel that he put on with Congressman Rick Allen, the representative for Georgia's 12th district. During this panel, different entrepreneurs from the Augusta area got to talk to Rick Allen about the role that government has played in their business and how that role may be improved. You're listening to Make Startups, and now, here's your host, Eric Parker. We had a really great conversation the other day with Congressman Allen yep. and a number of entrepreneurs in the community, since you also are an entrepreneur yourself. And this is a podcast about people that make startups and trying to connect them um, with other people who have made a startup. For me, what I wanted to do with, with Congressman Allen, because you know he started his own company when he was 25 years old and he's right. been through all of this. He actually used to come to our events before he was in Congress um, as an investor to meet the entrepreneurs and see what they were doing, That's cool. uh, was to let him see this sort of new crop, this broad base of entrepreneurs that Augusta has in its community. Because in Augusta, we tend to think of our city as cyber. Uh, we think of it as health and we think of it as energy. Um, but when you actually look at all the new businesses that are being created, we have so much diversity of what's happening that that I don't think gets attention. And and my goal with, with the congressman was for him to understand that, you know, the, in the clubhouse, we're not we're, I think we're an important part of the startup community in Augusta, mm -hmm. but we're not it by any means. There's a lot more startup activity that also happens outside of us. But just from the clubhouse, there's been a thousand jobs created in our community. And I think that's an important thing that he needs to understand and that all of our political leaders need to understand. And the other part is that most of these entrepreneurs came from, you know, underprivileged backgrounds in different ways. Like, they might have been, you know, below poverty level before they came in and now they own their own business and they employ other people. So it's really something that changes a community. Yeah. And, and honestly, like if you go to, so my girlfriend, um, her family is from Alpharetta. And so I'm, I'm in Alpharetta, not as much anymore, but often generally speaking. Right. And one thing I was always struck by relative to comparing it to downtown Augusta and comparing it to Augusta is all these like massive corporate buildings and like all these massive corporate places. And I'm sitting here and I don't think it really struck me until I was going there a lot and seeing all that kind of stuff, how much of a small business kind of takeover Augusta has, has had recently. Because when you graduate from college now in Augusta, I mean, if you're in business or if you're, you know, if, if you're a person that, that is working in business development, odds are you're going to end up working for a small business, whether it's a new business, a startup, maybe not, but a small business, definitely. I mean, aside from the medical field and aside from the energy, like you've mentioned, I mean, Augusta is really a small business town. Right. Well, the truth is almost every town is a small business town. You know, the, the real differentiators when you see a you know one of the mega cities like San Francisco it's because they've yeah. now got these trillion dollar companies and Apple right. and Google and so forth that are driving that and when you see Atlanta and how big it is it's because their small business of UPS and their small business of Coca-Cola and their small business right. of Home Depot Basically. and their small business of Delta finally grew into these these giant things and and the the thing about it is culturally, if we don't make startups in our communities, we're never going to get to the place where we get those big companies because right. a large city is just this representation of how much is being exported out from your community to bring dollars in that can be circulated around and, and grow, grow a city. Right. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. We're, we're definitely hoping that with Augusta podcast, what we're doing, uh, we're hoping that we can get over time, 
a national presence. Uh, we we want to be helping people start podcasts in places that maybe the only reason they've ever heard of Augusta is because they like golf. And yeah. Well, so here's an interesting question I have for you. Um, yeah. Talking about going national, how yeah. do you feel about having Augusta in your name? You know, I think we feel a sense of pride because, yeah. um, you know, obviously you could see it as a limiting factor, but if somebody was to come to us and to question the name and question the reach and question the ability of what we do, I would feel very comfortable pointing them to other Augusta businesses and other Augusta startups that are massive. Maybe they don't have the word Augusta in their name, but we're happy to be ambassadors on behalf of the city. And at the end of the day, our business came from a podcast where our whole goal was to grow the city of Augusta. And so if we start a business based off of that podcast and we're not fulfilling our mission, then I feel like long-term we're going to lose sight of what we're trying to do. And, and I think long-term, if you lose sight of your mission, you will be unsuccessful. And so, you know, maybe we lose a client or two because they, they don't want to come to Augusta or they don't want to work with a company in Augusta because it seems too small. But we're betting that Augusta is not going to seem small. And we're betting that when they see Augusta, they're going to say, that's the cyber city in Georgia. And, and so we're really of that mentality of, you know, you talk to, a, a, you know, small business owners say this all the time, like the rising tide lifts everybody. And we want to be one of the people lifting. And we think if we're able to be the people that lift, then we feel like we will also be lifted. Yeah, well, and, you know, keep in mind, um, one of the most successful businesses in our city is the Augusta National. So. Right. Right. And see, we try not to make those comparisons because they're too easy. Uh, yeah. You're not going to be Augusta National Podcast Company. <laughs> I think um, we do not have the uh, legal support in order to, uh, to form that LLC. So it would be wrong to say you're, you will have a masterful broadcast. <laughs> no, well, I mean, even for us, you know, our, our company is actually still Hack Augusta, right? Right. Because we started with the basic question of how do you hack Augusta as a city to create a culture of innovation and collaboration. And when I, I remember when we wrote out our, our first mission statement, it was, you know, we wanted to create an Augusta centric um, model for how cities can grow. And, right. and so that's everything that we've done through the clubhouse and now through make startups is, is an extension of that. Can I turn this on you? Can I ask you this question? Yeah. Um, did Were you guys worried about including Augusta in your name? And did you have any consequences that were negative because of that? So we have been intentional in, um, in using the name Make Startups as we grow outside of the community because much like Hack Augusta was the embodiment of our mission here in this community, um, right. I think Hack Augusta it's hard to explain to somebody in Boulder, Colorado, like, how are you going to make your community grow? Well, you know, work with Hack Augusta. Um, right. And so, so we did make the shift there. And, and I think for us, we got away from it early um, because what we found when we first created the clubhouse itself was that we were going to make it and just call it Hack Augusta as a space. And, right. um, but there were a lot of other groups that were meeting up in our city at that time. And so naming the space after us felt to everybody else like it was less inclusive. And so we, we quickly adopted the name, the clubhouse at that gotcha. point. And, gotcha. and it really, it's like the idea is the clubhouse is the place where we can all go and do whatever right. we want to do. And um, we try to still stay true to that. And, and actually you've kind of, so, our company will be Augusta Podcasts. Our studio, however, um, our goal is, our short-term goal right now, which we feel pretty confident we're gonna be able to do soon, is that we wanna sell naming rights to the studio. And so I think that that's gonna be able to offset, you know, we may be Augusta Podcasts, but we may be coming to you from X company studio and so by doing that, even the though- Slayer Studio coming Tax Slayer Studio, speak it into existence. Plant that bug. <laughs> I, I say Tax Slayer every time we use a, a, you know, a what would it be name, but I, I didn't know if I wanted to put that out there on this podcast. But yeah, so, so right. So we would be Tax Slayer or X Company Studio. And right. so even though it's Augusta 
podcast LLC, having a national company co-sign that and having a national company co-sign the city of Augusta through us, I think would be a success for us. And, and I think it would, would help with any kind of potential issues we might run into. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I got to say, we're at that point in our history as a community where I'm really excited to see what are those national companies that are going to be coming out of this. You know, going into this, like I said, the, the congressman had been somebody that, um, that I had spoken with and admired a lot um, mm-hmm. even before he was in Congress. Um, and I, I thought he would give a really good insight. I was particularly excited through this that there were actually some legitimate um, things that came about. Um, so some, some p- particular invitations for, for him to use the power of his office to try to break down some barriers. And I guess, you know, one question I have, is that something that's, um, do you find similar sort of connections? Like, is this a, an anomaly in the podcast world? Like, I feel like, holy cow, the very first uh, time we're getting some cool stuff happening. I would say in the podcast world, it's an, if you're choosing your guests properly and putting thought into it, which obviously you guys are, I just want to quantify that. You, you do have to put thought into it and actually, and actually work hard to get good guests. But if you're able to get people that are high quality, you know, I say high quality people, that could mean anything. That could mean hard workers. That could mean experience. That could mean intelligent. That could mean caring. You know, there's so many ways that a person can be a high quality person. But if you're able to get that high quality guest, you know, the amount of conversation you can have with that person is, is endless and incredible. You know, you listen to a podcast like Joe Rogan, right? And his podcasts are three and a half hours. And you're sitting there and you're like, there's no way I could ever do that. But having experienced what I've experienced and been in the studio with people like yourself and been in the studio with people like, I, I like to shout out Derek May. I love Derek May. He's such an interesting guy. He's a, uh, he, yeah, he's a president of uh, Zillion Investments in the Morris Company. And, um, you know, I could keep giving examples, but I'm choosing to move forward. You know, one of our best friends of the show is Dee Copenhaver. We could bring Dee Copenhaver in. We brought him in last week for the fourth time. And we had an hour long conversation that we could have carried another two hours if we had wanted to. And so it's really about connecting, I think, finding those right connection points and, and speaking about things that are important to people. And if you do both of those things and you have a high quality guest that's gonna, that's really gonna put their all into the conversation, then you're gonna get good content and you're gonna get, you're gonna feel that way after every episode. Wow, yeah. No, I mean, I have to say, um, after being on your show, um, I was, I actually didn't wanna leave when the, when the interview time was up. I was kind of like, wait, wait, am I just not that interesting? But, but no. <laughs> No, it was it was it was such a great fluid conversation, and I felt like yeah we were in this place, and and so I hope to have that sort of experience for for people in in here. Uh, I'll confess to anyone who happens to listen to this show that it feels really weird right now talking about trying to tee this up and what it might be because right. the truth is this is just Eric having a conversation with David, and you know I. I like I said, I think what you do is pretty interesting. I, I am curious before we um, go into the um, the roundtable. Right. What do you think is the um, the biggest challenge that entrepreneurs face? Okay, I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to answer that question relative to where we are right now. Like a, a and I'm not going to say Augusta specifically, but I'm going to say. A mid, a mid, a mid-level town, a mid-level city, right? So we're not a capital city. We're not Thompson, Georgia. Uh, we're not, you know. But as much as we love Thompson, right, right. M- one of my best friends is a teacher in Thompson. Great city, but w- we're a mid-sized city, right? And so I think uh, a struggle that small businesses have in mid-sized cities is one: there's so many small businesses in mid-sized cities that it uh, it can kind of I, I feel like to your potential clients, to your potential customer, you kind of have to really, really work as hard as you possibly can to establish yourself and, and your legitimacy. And I think legitimacy is, is the biggest hurdle to get over. And, and 
you know, that's right now. Legitimacy is the biggest hurdle to get over because you have to say, not only do we have a cool idea, not only are we intelligent people that can execute that idea, but in five years, we will still be executing that idea as opposed to, you know, deciding to go do something else as, you know, people might expect you to do in a small business. Now, I'm going to say two things, even though you didn't ask me. Um, I think the biggest challenge of small businesses of the future, which we consider ourselves at Augusta Podcast to be a kind of a business of the future, we understand that what we're trying to do is not large right now. But we also understand that in three years, we expect it to be massive. And so I think a large uh, consideration that people need to take in, especially for businesses of the future, tech businesses, which you deal with every day, is education. How are you going to educate people about not only what you're doing, but why is what you're doing important and why is it an upgrade versus what they were doing previously? If you can't make that argument, and Chris Crozier, who is on this panel, is literally the best person in the entire world I've ever met at making that argument. But if you can't make that argument and establish in 30 seconds why your business is, is legitimate and why your business is smart and is going to help people and why they need it, then you're going to struggle. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's, um, and I, I, I reference this way too often to just, just to prove how much of a nerd I am, but it, <laughs> it goes back to Tesla for me, not the company, but the man. Yeah. And, um, are we and talking I about Elon Musk or Nikola Tesla? Nikola. Okay. Yeah, okay. The, okay. The, the original inventor. Okay. Um, so I think what it comes down to is distance. And I, and I mean that because I, my goal is always to figure out the sort of at the highest level, how can I look down at something and say, this is the problem. And right. in every case it's distance, right? So legitimacy is this, there's a distance that you have to overcome between where you are today and how, how you view yourself and how you aspire to be viewed. And right. that customer understanding is also a distance of understanding. And I think that's, that's to me what we're trying to overcome. Like I, I think most people, the story I tell all the time, and it goes back to Dee Copenhaver, who you also mentioned, is I was living in uh, San Francisco before coming back to Augusta. And I never would have thought when I was there, let me give the mayor a call because I have an idea. Right. And the whole reason the clubhouse exists to a large degree is because I just sort of felt like, well, Augusta's a smaller place. Maybe that distance isn't so great. And right. I cold called the mayor and said, I have a great idea for, you know, opening up this collaborative space. And he was like, that's really cool. Let's have lunch and talk about it. And, and so to me, can I take this, a second to say yeah, that's yeah. why you need to vote in local elections so we can have great politicians that will do things and help people like you start incredible businesses? Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that, you know, most people think about their Congress person as something that's incredibly distanced from them. And I, I, I think that this allowed some people to, to shorten that distance a little bit. And, and I think, you know, to, to me, especially, I, I think of Sherlanda uh, and her story yes. and, and talking with the congressman. And to me, that's very powerful just to see what took place between them and, and the possibility for, for things to happen in the future as a byproduct of that even if you don't get to be in this incredible round table where you're talking to the congressman face to face, you can still call his office and you can still get responses back. He can call you back. He will do work on your behalf and he will hear what you have to say. Um, right. That's anywhere. That's not just in Augusta. That's anywhere. Yeah. Well, and so I guess I'll just leave it with, with this. Um, it's that, my hope is that as people listen to this conversation and the many more that come after it, what they'll be able to do is to sort of put themselves a little bit in the place of whichever side of that conversation they, they see themselves and think, okay, that's how I could reduce my distance or how I could help somebody else reduce theirs. Because I think the more we reduce these distances, the more we create opportunity for people to succeed. As a person who is a small, you know, a small business owner, I, I 
uh, of like a super, super startup, and by that I mean starting up right now, is able to talk to a person like you who, who has been there and who has done that and who is now facilitating other people to do that. And you are closing that distance gap for other people using your position. And, and that's a big deal. And, and that should not be understated. Well, uh, I'll tell you, one of the, the most important roles for any startup is that person who pushes them off of a cliff. And, um, and it was really when I was on your show and you were asking me about how COVID has impacted what we do and if there's anything right. that we've discovered that works better as a right. byproduct. And I was telling you about a program that we do called Founder Circle at the Clubhouse. Right. And at Founder Circle, um, it's been a thing that we've done, gosh, for six or seven years where we just get entrepreneurs around a table and we talk shop for an hour. And you can imagine six years into doing something every week, it feels a little stale after a bit. Um, but when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden we realized that all of our friends across the country that were CEOs at companies, CTOs, whatever, like they're all stuck at home around the internet too. And I don't have to pay for a flight for them to come over and talk to entrepreneurs. So I just took the step of starting to invite um, more people in from, from out of town and, and, and taking advantage of the internet to grow the network for all the entrepreneurs here in the community. And it turned out to just be these amazing conversations where finally I could actually step back instead of feeling like this person that's sort of trying to make sure that a conversation keeps going for an hour between people. I could right. just say like, hey, I introduced you to, you talk. <laughs> right. And, and I think you were, you know, I don't know if we want to go ahead and link this into what you did, but the conversation that you were able to, to have with, with Congressman Allen where you had local entrepreneurs talking and non-local entrepreneurs too, because you had national companies uh, that had started here. Um, right. Them being able to directly talk to the congressman and give him their their direct feedback. I mean, I think that was incredible because those are the people that at the end of the day, one, those are the people that need the most help because small businesses are the ones that need the most help. And, and two, as you and I both know, small businesses are the driving force of our economy. And, and right. so as a small businessman himself, but as a small businessman, not in technology, in the development phase, which Rick Allen uh, was, you know, I think that perspective is really good for somebody to be able to take. Entrepreneurship itself tends to be one of the very few issues left in America that bridges our political divide. I think everybody yeah. supports the idea of businesses, um, supports the, the, the idea of people being able to create a business and to have the resources they need. And, and so that was a real important reason I wanted Congressman Allen to come on to our, our first conversation. go straight into uh, introducing Congressman Allen. You, you know, you've always been a, a great friend. Um, I don't know if I've told everybody else here, but um, even before the clubhouse was a thing, I remember going to lunch with, uh, with Congressman Allen and um, I, get, I don't think you were even a congressman yet. At no. And we were talking about ways to grow the startup community in Augusta. And I remember you asking me at that point in time, uh, okay, Eric, so this works. Uh, what, is, what does it look like in 10 years? And I don't think that I had any clue at that point uh, how to answer that question. But I can tell you now that that means that uh, it's been 100 new businesses in Augusta and 1,000 jobs created. So it, it's, it's worked out to be a pretty big thing. And uh, I think we have some, some really big plans for what it means over the next 10 years. But before we get there, Wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and say a few words. Good. Thank you. Eric, Eric and I go way back. Uh, of course, you know, uh, he, Eric's a Georgia Tech graduate in architecture. And of course, I'm a building construction graduate from Auburn. And so uh, we, we had uh, mutual interest uh, in construction. You know, I spent the better uh, most of my life uh, uh, building a small business, a construction business. I have firsthand experience in what it takes to uh, deal with the uh, issues that you have to deal with 
and, and running a small business is not easy. But let me tell you how important it is. As you know, uh, we had the opportunity three years ago uh, in the 115th Congress to uh, do some things to try to create economic growth. Obviously, the only thing that government can do, which is one of the reasons that I ran for Congress, is to provide a, uh, an environment where uh, the small business community can flourish, where innovation can flourish, where we can do what we do best in this country. And we lead the world. Uh, there's no question about it. But let me just tell you what happened. In three short years, 50% of all the jobs were uh, in small business sector, 50%. A lot of people don't know that. They, they think that all the jobs are in big business, but that's not the case. Uh, the other critical factor is that 70% of all new jobs are created by the small business community, uh, the uh, starting of small businesses. So you are crucial uh, to this economy. Uh, everything that we did, and of course, we, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about COVID, you know, there, just to give you an update on the vaccine, uh, you know, the, the president started this thing called Warp Speed. And we've got the greatest minds, not only in this country, but collaborating throughout the world in, in search of a vaccine. Uh, in that search, we have discovered a lot of great therapies, uh, which has substantially reduced the mortality rates. But uh, basically what we were told in a classified briefing, which is now pretty much public, is uh, at that time, and this was the first of April, that if we did not, uh, if we did nothing, we could, uh, as many as three million people would lose their lives, and uh, and then that just couldn't. I mean, we just had to do, we had to do something to prevent that. We had to act and act quickly, and we came up with the CARES Act. And uh, which, again, I didn't go to Washington to spend two trillion dollars. Uh, I've been trying to figure out a way to balance the budget up there. Uh, but we, we had we had to we had to deal with uh, uh, this issue. And, and, and much of that worked out. One of the programs that I'm sure that a lot of our folks on the call today probably participated in was the PPP program. And uh, never in history has a legislative event like that happened where uh, we passed the legislation and, and then we're on the front lines of getting that legislating legislation implemented. Our staff was working 24 seven uh, for several weeks, but uh, basically we were able to get $500 billion out the door and in the hands of small businesses to try to, uh, to bridge this thing for eight weeks. We felt like, uh, uh, you know, we were told that in 14 days, if we isolated, we could get it under control. And we did. We, we uh, you know, obviously we don't we didn't want to lose one American. But uh, but, uh, you know, we've we've done we saved a lot of lives and 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 we are continuing to work to do that. I can only imagine um, the stress that your office and your colleagues have been under responding to this level of crisis in the country. And I think the, the real opportunity we have today is to start talking about the recovery after the crisis. And I mean, I can tell you from our own standpoint that, um, you know, PPP helped us keep the doors of the clubhouse open. And so um, did it have its flaws? Sure. But it's hard to implement legislation that fast and not have flaws. Um, yeah. And without it, uh, you know, there's we ran a high likelihood of not being able to continue to provide this service. So we're right. we're grateful that you were able to get that passed in in its form. So it's probably been the most uh, successful program in the history of the United States. Uh, no question about it. Uh, it's a brilliant concept, and uh, have to give credit to the president's administration. Obviously, Mnuchin is a is a bright man and. And obviously, you know, the, the idea was to bridge this thing, make sure that when we get to recovery, that we have a strong recovery because we know the uh, potential is there. Yeah. Well, what I'd like to do is um, uh, if, if um, Grace can maybe give us a brief uh, update on sort of 
how we're trying to address some of these issues um, and, yeah. and where where the startup industry is going. And then each one of the entrepreneurs can can sort of give you a little bit of their perspective Good. and 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 sort of, uh, you know, hopefully give some feedback about how those decisions that you're you're facing are impacting them. So, Grace, um, I'll give you the floor. Hello. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you for giving us your time today. Hi, it's nice to see you, sir. Um, I'll be I'll, I'll be really quick. I I think a lot of what I'm going to say is sort of preaching to the choir here about um, everybody kind of knows what the clubhouse is and what we're doing and the impact we have in our community. And I know, you know, through entrepreneurship, it's it's job creation. It's not um, it's not it's it's in addition to obviously you want the economy to, to thrive post recovery and getting hired and, and, and getting jobs in the manufacturing space. And we're going to really emphasize um, the job skills training opportunities through, through the WIOA programs, which I know you are, you are, you are part of. So those, those funding metrics um, can, can pass through to organizations like ours because we can help in, in the job creation space. You know, when you talked about the educational void, um, not just for youth, but even in the upskills and the retraining, you know, for our adults that are underemployed or unemployed, um, we really feel like, like accrediting a, a process to, to help with, with partnerships and capital partners to, to make entrepreneurs more successful in the spaces where places like the clubhouse thrive really can, can move the needle on, on making sure that, that startups don't fail, you know, that, that the job creation is done, you know, and so we wanted to um, give a platform to, for you to, to hear from a few of our entrepreneurs that have come through some of the programs at, in, in the clubhouse. And then, um, you know, Eric can talk a little bit more about um, some, some things that we feel like maybe the government could, could work with us on um, spaces that you're already in. And, and you can see that we're just trying to, again, amplify the idea that, um, you know, generational wealth is important. Economic development is, is really important for our community. Good. Okay. Well, uh, Chris, can you um, introduce yourself and, Tell a congressman a little bit about your company. Hey, Congressman Rick. Uh, this hey. is Christopher Crozier. Uh, we actually met uh, through YPA. You actually came and did an event with us. So I'm on the board right. of YPA as their marketing chair. But I'm also with the. Uh, I'm also the owner of a company called Mobile Mentors. It's a service-based company that's centered around technology. So I go to people's homes and businesses and kind of streamline the efficiency of their technology. So. I do that through like coaching, consultations, and convenience. So uh, a few people on here I've actually worked with personally and professionally and been able to help them out. But one of the things that Mobile Mentors strives to do is just make the technology experience seamless and uh, effortless. One of my favorite quotes by a Clubhouse member is, you look like a person that can fix my computer, but you talk to me like a person I'd actually want to hang out with. So um, that's, that's, right. that's kind of the, the vibe that I try to work with. Um, Eric, can you refresh uh, my memory of just what all I'm, I'm looking to incorporate in my introduction, but what, what other things you're looking to hear from me on? Oh, uh, you know, I, I think really it's um, the goal of this is to just help the, the congressman um, meet each of you and develop an, an understanding of the breadth of entrepreneurs that we have in, in the community, the types of businesses that you have. If you do have any particular challenges that, um, that you're facing, especially if it's uh, something where, you know, there's any regulatory issues that might get in the way or where you see that there's there's, there's some sort of way to, you know, improve process at a government level than, than certainly. Um, but it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily point out any of those things. For sure. Uh, for me, um, I've always been taught, uh, especially by my parents is don't bring a problem unless you have a solution. Uh, cause that's just called whining. Um, and so for me, it's, um, I think my biggest thing, uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship is, um, understanding um, and having the tools, uh, because when we when we're raised, we're educated a certain way, we're taught to to do things a certain way, and go into the workforce. When you become an entrepreneur, that skill set, that understanding is not there. It's a whole new mindset, and I'm sure you know how that is. Uh, Miss Brinsley actually was singing your praises earlier, talking about how all the many different things that you've done. But um, when it comes to entrepreneurship, we're, we're not given those trainings. We're not given those, um, those marketing tools, that awareness factor, because I think that there are so many great businesses that are in the area 
which a majority of them are housed by the clubhouse. But um, it's it's having the marketing tools to get that awareness out, to get that gap in between working as a waiter, as a janitor, as all these different things that you have to do, and then working as your main job or the dream job that you want to do. So it's having the training and the marketing and awareness that's out there to get us to where uh, we need to be. That way we can be that other 70% that is bringing in new jobs, that is uh, adding to the economy, that is um, helping others out. I was speaking earlier with Eric and Grace on a Zoom call, and by 2055, half the American population will be eligible to be living in an assisted living community. So the age range of people that are going to be in that risk taker uh, mentality, uh, which is between 25 and 45, is going to be gone. So the horcrux uh, or the actual crux of us saying, hey, this is the time that we come together and we put out entrepreneurs, we put out these small businesses that are going to last because otherwise we're going to miss the mark and not have that opportunity because we'll be in that stage of, I just need to do what's safe. I need to plan for my retirement. I can't take a risk. I've, I've already built this stuff for my family and I got to have that stable yeah. spot for them. And so um, just, just having uh, the tools and the trainings. And so I think Eric has uh, laid out a lot of great things with the WIOA plan and the workforce development that's out there. And so, um, kind of hearing from him and, and seeing how those grants and training opportunities would be beneficial to us. But yeah. I'll, I'll leave and let everybody else kind of introduce themselves. I'm sorry yeah. I took up so much time. Good to see now, you. Again. Just, just to comment uh, a little bit about the challenges that, that we have today, uh, this, this uh, whole business concept is moving so fast. It's very difficult to keep up. I mean, it uh, it's it's everything is moving. It, well, in Washington they call it Trump time. I mean, he you know the guy the guy's just you know go 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 and uh, but uh, yeah it uh, you know it's it's very challenging uh, in the small business uh, arena today. And uh, yeah, what I, and what I want to hear is and it's kind of like uh, you know back early on the president told us he said all right. You go and you talk to every small business out there and you find out what's keeping their company from growing and hiring hiring additional people. And you bring that back and we'll do everything we can to fix it. And that's the, you know, that's the mentality of this administration. The, you know, obviously, you know, we're not in the majority right now, but we, we, we still uh, believe that uh, Certainly, we can bring things to the floor of the house that makes sense to uh, to grow the economy and grow business. So, uh, and through our committee uh, as well, and of course, the Senate is is doing everything they can to help us to get that done. So, your insight has been great, and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I really needed you earlier to help me get back on Zoom, but anyway, we got it done. <laughs> well, you give me a call whenever, and I'll be happy to help you out. I've got a I've got an insider in your office, and hopefully she'll she'll sing my praises as well. But we'll see. Okay. Yeah, I'll make sure that I uh, share with Brinsley everyone's contact information so that there can be follow ups afterwards. That's um, what we're there for. Uh, well, uh, to to keep things moving, uh, Sherlanda, can you uh, tell us a bit about uh, yourself and your business? Why, sure. Hello, everyone, and ha- thank you so kindly for being with us, Congressman. Um, my name is Shalonda McCain, and I am uh, the owner, the CEO of Piecing Life Together. We provide life coaching and grief recovery services. Um, I started this business because I was a consumer of the uh, government assistant program at some time, and I noticed that <clears throat> they was giving out the uh, assistance, but not given the skill sets to be able to get out of the system in the rat race. Uh, I'm also the author of Mindset Change Movement, and it's a book that provides personal and professional uh, uh, growth uh, with living skill, with life skill training. Um, What I've found that I'm having a challenge with is my heart is for the people, uh, you know, low income and poverty because of the mindset. You said something, so you kind of helped me out when you said the educational system has to be reinvented. Uh, I think I know I have a solution 
uh, to that problem, and which is the root is life skill training. Uh, we got education. Uh, we do. We can send them to college. Uh, we can send them to workforce. Uh, but what about them not understanding the basics of living skills, communication, conflict resolution, uh, goal setting. Uh, and this is what my business do. I partner with uh, in, uh, other organizations. I work with individuals, uh, but my heart is pulled to work with individuals who are uh, in or who are as getting assistance from the government, uh, HUD, uh, Section 8, uh, also, you know, uh, TANF and uh, Medicaid and welfare. So I'm just, um, I'm honored to be able to speak uh, with a uh, person who is within the educational arena. Uh, but what I do see that's been missing is the life skill education. So that's basically in a nutshell who I am, what I stand for. And uh, if I can just see one thing I have noticed, and this is somewhat of a question, um, why isn't this mandated? Uh, we're giving out assistance to individuals, but we're not giving them life skill training. And that is the root of the problem while we continue to cycle because a lot of the uh, adults um, are not educated uh, with basic living skills and they pass that on to their generation. So that's why we can, that's why we see a, a stuckness in our communities uh, that's going forth. So that's, that's me, Shalana McGee. Well, let me tell you, there's a special place in heaven for people like you. Uh, you've nailed it. Um, um, and I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to have you come to Washington for one of our hearings. And I want you to explain to my colleagues exactly what you just explained to me, because what I have said is, you know, how do we motivate young people to be what God created them to be? You know, how do we do that? And you've nailed it. You know, they got to they, they gotta figure out their identity. Uh, they got to get rid, rid of fear. And they got to get, uh, you know, obviously, uh, they, they got to they be confident. Yes. And, and we're losing kids every day to the streets. And, and these, these young people are, are brilliant. Yes. They just get misdirected. And so, um, you know, for example, the reason you got to motivate is because if you finish the third grade and you're not reading at the third grade level, you're likely not to finish high school in this country. We should identify that, concentrate on that, and make sure that you. But again, it, you, you hit it. It is. I am so excited. I got to talk to you this morning. That is that is wonderful what you're doing there, and 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 my colleagues in D.C. need to hear from you. And I'm gonna, Brinsley, let's make sure that we get the Katie, uh, and the staff uh, at, at Educational Labor in touch, and given the opportunity uh, when we're talking about. But I'm the ranker, uh, senior Republican on K through 12 Education Subcommittee, and which is unusual because I've only been there a short period of time. But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's big. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. No, that's, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to, that you two can connect on that. Um, I, I think if there's one thing I could add related to that, it's that um, I think that one of the core challenges related to WIOA right now is there's um, there's an inflexibility of how they measure success yeah. of programs when they administer it. And I think that's the opportunity when you're looking at renewing the legislation is how do you, how do you better codify that flexibility for yeah. them? Yeah. Well, here's, here's your problem. We, we've got uh, say boards of education that aren't open-minded. I mean, it's just the same old, same old. And, you know, we, 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 like I said, we have to reinvent this thing. We have to get to the root of the problem. And uh, because every child is amazing. It's amazing. And uh, we, we have got to stop these young people from falling through the cracks and living on the streets and, you know, getting into trouble. And, and uh, because, like I said, when we get this, back, this COVID under control and get this economy growing, we're going to be right back where we were. We're going to have uh, uh, more jobs and we got people looking for jobs. It's right. going to be big. 
Well, uh, since we're since we're on the subject of giving people a hand up instead of a handout, um, it's my pleasure to introduce Eric Harrison and his company Moonrise to you. Hi, Congressman. Uh, thank you for hey. meeting with us today. Um, yeah, you are on my two favorite committees: uh, agriculture and labor. Those are yes. those are the things I'm really passionate about. Um, uh, they're very important. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, we uh, we actually recently moved uh, to a new property in in Thompson, Georgia. So we have yeah. some proper uh, some acreage, yeah. and I, I'm raising chickens and pigs. So yeah, <laughs> um, cool. So a couple years back, um, we started a company called Moonrise with the idea to make it really easy and efficient for people to find work, meaningful mm -hmm. work and jobs. Currently, the mechanism, if you're looking for a job, is you'll scour job boards, you'll apply to a, a bunch of different places, and maybe you'll never hear back. We've simplified that process with technology to let them um, apply to us. We are the employer of record. We've, we've hired over 1,500 people in the Chicagoland area where we operate currently, um, and we place them with our clients. So anytime a customer of ours needs a, a car detailer or work in a, in a warehouse, picker packers, forklift drivers, they'll place an order with us, and we'll place the correct worker uh, completely through automation. And we handle the entire process from application through payroll without anyone touching anything. So we've really automated and made um, economies of scale and efficiency inside the entire labor market. Uh, one of the things that you touched on earlier in your introduction is that you said that big businesses often can deal with regulation in a way that small businesses cannot. And one of our big challenges is that we're a small business that employs a massive labor force. And so we fall under the big business guidelines in a way that is regulatorily complex for a, a team. I, I run a team of eight managing a workforce of 1500. And those regulations are often challenging for us. Just to give a real concrete example, um, Dep uh, Department of Homeland Security through the I-9 process has this system in place that says, I-9s need to be verified in person. And so hiring 1500 people and making them all come to us in person with a driver's license, social security card, while it's an important step, is an antiquated system that is holding us back from growth and scale. Um, so those are the types of challenges that we're facing on a daily basis. We are making do with what we've got. We're expanding from Illinois to Tennessee, Georgia, Indiana, South Carolina. Uh, we think we have the opportunity to become one of the largest employers in the country and really make it easier for people to find work and earn a paycheck. Uh, let me ask you to do this. Uh, as I stated earlier, if you'll give me a list of whatever's keeping you from efficiently doing the work you need to do, dealing with these antiquated systems, uh, I, we, our office will do this. Uh, first, we will uh, meet with uh, the president and make sure the administration, uh, if they can deal with Homeland Security Direct, the agency direct, will fix that. If we have to do it legislatively, we'll introduce legislation to fix it and we'll get that done for you. Great. That'd be awesome. Thank you for your yeah. time. Yeah. Glad to do it. That's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. I, I will say to follow up because I, I think it's a, it's a nuanced but really important point that the, uh, I'm sure you're you know, very aware of the impacts of the gig economy for yeah. everyone now. And, and what's really interesting about um, Eric's approach with his company is that they're actually putting people on payroll. And so they're still contributing to this, this um, you know, our, our economic system in a way that a lot of companies are skirting. And so I do think if there's a way to encourage taking on that level of responsibility, that would yeah. be a, a game changer. Yeah, it's a big deal. I've got uh, one of my best friends and supporter is MAU, Randy Hatch Hatcher. In fact, I don't know. Uh, I would uh, I would suggest. I mean, he has these challenges, and uh, it's a it, they're big. Uh, you know, uh, big subcontractors to BMW. They do mainly automotive, but. Uh, I think that, uh, and, I, and, and the thing is, uh, your business is gonna be so important. Uh, and it, when we get, like I said, when we get this thing contained and, and, and we do that, say by the first of the year, you're gonna see euphoria. You're gonna see, you might see an expansion of an economy unlike we've never seen before. We gotta be ready for that. And, 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 and all of you are gonna be major players in that, by the way. Great. Great. Well, um, Latasha, um, 
I know that this is all uh, a subject that's near and dear to your heart. So I'll let you introduce yourself and, and your work. Okay. Um, hello, Congressman Allen. Hey. Uh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. I am uh, Latasha Lewis, and I um, own a business called Ellen Ellen Co. And basically, what I do is product design. Um, so I was extremely excited when I heard you talk about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. You got it. Because that's something that's really important to me. Yeah. Um, uh, as well as getting people employed in manufacturing and getting them the skills they need in order to do um, that type of work. Um, so yeah, I'm in product design. Um, I'm more recently, um, since COVID hit, uh, started to get back to the basics of what led me to product design, which is art and just creativity in general. Um, and so I started producing um, some virtual art classes for kids. And from that, um, I've just been brought on by uh, Richmond County as the new art teacher at Davidson. So Good. I am um, I'm really excited about hearing, you know, how we can bring these jobs back to the U.S. and, and really equip people with skills um, so that they don't um, lose sight of how they can apply creativity to the workforce. Um, because that's something that's happening here. If you, you know, especially in the South, if you know, you, um, if you're interested in uh, uh, entrepreneurship or you're interested in drawing or, you know, these artistic skill sets, um, a lot of times you don't see yourself in Georgia. You, you venture off to other states. And so um, bringing these types of jobs back to these types of areas can lock in those people. I'm one of those people who's my entire career tried to maintain a life here in the South. I've only um, been here in Georgia and then for a little bit I was in Tennessee, but I love it here. And, and I, I would like to see, you know, more opportunities for people like myself. So that's exciting news. That's great. Well, let, let me tell you, the, uh, uh, what you're doing there is critical. Obviously, Davidson is the, uh, w one of the best schools in the country. And uh, uh, amazing uh, what uh, they've it's been able to do there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's truly amazing. And it gives uh, a lot of young people the opportunity to, to really bring out their creative skills. But, uh, you know, let me, let me tell you, the, the gig economy is going to allow us to bring all this manufacturing back. I mean, which what y'all do, innovation, what you do is critical to us competing with the rest of the world. And that's going to bring that manufacturing here. And it's going to and we, we already know that, you know, 10 years ago, these uh, certain things that are made in China could be made cheaper and shipped here and, and made cheaper. That's not the case today. It's, it's no, it's totally different. We, we've studied. Uh, many of these essential uh, uh, components for uh, pharmaceuticals. And we found that we can actually do it less expensive here now than uh, the Chinese. So uh, like I said, there's so much going on. It, it's hard, to, it's, it's hard to, to lay it all out, but with, with everything that we've got, uh, with the, the other thing that the president did on the, on the, on the innovation level, is basically got rid of all regular, regulatory environment. This warp speed thing is like everything. everything's on the table. Whatever it takes to get this done, we're going to get it done, which has allowed us to move at a rapid rate and really give people the opportunity to, uh, to do some extraordinary things, particularly in, uh, in, in healthcare. Uh, one of the other things uh, that's, uh, that's uh, important is uh, flexibility of funding. We need flexibility. In other words, the federal government funds about 11 percent of education in the state of Georgia. And and but the problem is they dictate how that money is going to be spent. Well, every every school system is different. Every school is different. So they need to have the flexibility to put that funding in the best place to produce the results that uh, that you're talking about here. So, uh, yeah. Um, you know, what we've done in one county or one city in this district, which is extraordinary, is we have a uh, three theme schools. One is arts, the other is leadership, and the other is uh, uh, science and technology. It is amazing what those young people are doing because now they're, they're sort of in their element. And, and they, they sort of migrated to what they uh, do and how they were created. And it, it's just, it's, 
Let me tell you, the number one thing I learned in business is you, and it's, it's, it's one of the best books ever written, good to great, is you got to get the right people on the bus and you got to get them in the right seats. And that is amazing when you get everybody doing and knowing that that's where their strengths lie. And it's amazing what you can accomplish. So that's great work. I'm excited for you. Thank you. We have one more uh, entrepreneur yeah. in our clubhouse ecosystem that we'd love for her to talk about. Um, she has a storefront here in, in, in Augusta. So uh, without further ado, Jennifer, if you'd like to share a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. Thanks, Grace. Hello, Congressman. Hi. Um, I own Field Botanicals. Uh, we launched in uh, October 2008, and it's uh, both a uh, body care brand as well as a, an indie beauty store, and we're located on 12th Street right behind Farmhouse. So we launched both the brand um, of products and the store at the same time. Um, we saw a pretty good first year in business. Um, we operated in the black, um, totally self-funded for that first year, um, then COVID hit. <laughs> so I have to say I was uh, pretty dependent on um, the SBA uh, provisions with the PPA loan, and I did get uh, COVID-related EIDL um, as well um, with the advance, which really helped those those thin months. Um, we anticipated within the store and the brand 60% uh, growth in the second year, but we saw 40% loss. So that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sharp contrast when we were really scaling up um, to be hit with this um, right at the, at the onset of where we should have been really highly scaling. So kind of stagnated us we're surviving but um and we've got great community support which i'm really grateful for good and and resources like the clubhouse and the small business development center have been crucial to uh to to, to that as well just being consistent with um with keeping the business afloat um, my background is not in entrepreneurship i have 20 years in regional planning in a local government i work for a council of governments in south carolina so i'm well familiar with legislation and the WIOA program um, and like Eric mentioned before, I fear I feel that um, you know part of the the, the issues with the the labor uh, assistance that WIOA provides is um, that it's geared towards manufacturing and, and large manufacturers just because of the um, there is a lot of red tape, there is a lot of regulatory uh, steps to go through to get assistance to businesses, um, you know, and it's a lot easier to to deal with two manufacturing firms who are hiring. 50 people each then deal with 20 small businesses who are hiring five people each. It's just, you know, as far as a workload perspective, that's, that's, that, that we fall through the gap as small businesses. Yeah. Um, when I could, I have three employees. Um, I, I could have used assistance, but um, with the trouble that it would have taken me in the program to, to, to go through it, it's, it, it ends up not being worth it on either end. So that's, yeah. that's part of the issue with, with that. Well, we need, we got to fix it. Uh, yep. Because, see, um, you are the average small business. And, <clears throat> and, and it, it's uh, a business like yours that are the, the key to the innovation, the growth, and whatnot that we need in the, uh, this uh, post-COVID economy. So uh, we need to fix uh, those issues. And um, I'm glad you brought that to our attention. And... Again, you know, the government is, it's, it's, it's hard for the government to fix anything, but we can, we can certainly do it legislatively or through the agency to try to improve that system and, um, and make sure that, uh, that you have the tools you need to, uh, to, uh, one, survive this thing. And then two, to be ready when, you know, have to fasten your seatbelt when this thing takes off because uh, I got to, I got a, I got a good feeling. <laughs> well, I think well, entities like the clubhouse and the small business development centers have the flexibility like small businesses do. We can pivot real fast. So, yeah. you know, where these, these larger agencies, they can't do it. 
yeah. regional agencies, they can't. They they yeah. have to go through federal legislations to pivot. But um, you know, allowing the flexibility of the smaller groups and agencies that are helping small businesses, I think that's that's where the uh, focus needs to be. Just because yeah. they they can turn around. They were making masks within a month yeah. <laughs> for the hospitals. I mean, who does that? Like a, a big corporation could not do that. So I think. Yeah. You know, that's the way to, to try to try to funnel these funding so we can get, you know, I did get assistance from the SBA and I, I highly appreciate that. But man, I was on the phone daily. <laughs> I know. I know. It was hard to get through. So it was it was difficult, uh, really difficult. Uh, yeah. Sometime we have more time. I'll tell you some stories. <laughs> you won't believe it. I mean, uh, it, well, I'll tell you one real quick. I got so frustrated that finally I called our leadership and I said, I can't get anybody to answer the phone at SBA or Treasury. I want to talk to a human being. All I'm talking to is recordings. So uh, we set up a system where members of Congress could go directly to someone at each of those agencies to fix that PPP program. And, uh, and we got it fixed. It took about a week uh till we got the money flowing but uh boy that first week was rough uh because the problem with government agencies is they have their old policies and everything in place well the intent of congress was to save the small business community the president said we must preserve small business in this country because it's the it's the engine it's it, it it's what really uh has brought this i mean we were a 22 trillion dollar economy going on 23 trillion and so, and, and again, uh, like you said, the projections were uh, uh, almost unbelievable. Uh, but uh, but here we are, and uh, uh, but like I said, we we've got a we got a chance right now to fix these issues. And and thank you for sharing it with me. Thank you. Um, and uh, I know that you probably have a, a schedule to maintain as well. Um, just really quickly, you, you know, your office has already been very supportive in helping us navigate through some of the WIOA related issues. Um, I wanted to give you the update that at this point we do have. So we've taken the approach that the challenge, the core challenge is that entrepreneurship isn't recognized as an independent industry sector, so to speak, yeah. and most of the funding is geared in that way. So um, Grace and I actually created an accrediting agency where we've been organizing banks and invest investors um, to serve as that industry recognition process um, and, and, and credentialing. So uh, at this stage, we have pilot programs that we are going to be launching in 2021 in Georgia and in Colorado to um, begin to test um, some some models around the ability to use WIOA funding. And we would love to continue to work with your office um, yeah. as we learn more about, you know, what's what's working and what's not in that arena. But the idea here is that anytime someone graduates from an accredited program, they will actually already qualify for funding for their business from these um, banks and from these investors. Well, we'll be glad to uh, to do everything we can do to make that thing work and make it work for, uh, let me tell you, you, you know, you're, what you're doing is, uh, is going to be the uh, lifeline to keeping us ahead of the world. Uh, you know, it's all about innovation. It's all about giving people the opportunity uh, to innovate, to uh, produce, and to uh, hire folks, and to allow them to to provide for their families and, and their communities. So that's what we're all about. This has been the most fun I've had in a long time. Well, Thank glad you. to hear it. Thank you all, and have a great Thank day. You. Great right. to be Please with bye. you. Thank you so much, bye. everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. For more information on the Make Startups movement, go to makestartups.com or find the movement on Twitter and Instagram at makestartups. This episode is hosted by Eric Parker and Grace Belangia. Special thanks to all of our entrepreneurs. Special thanks to Congressman Allen and his district director, Brinsley Thigpen, for making this interview happen. This has been produced by me, David, at Augusta Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.